I'm just really excited just to be able to share a wee bit of something that God's been putting on my heart over the past few weeks. So before I jump in, let's, let's just pray. Uh, yeah, Father, we do love you. We thank you that we can run straight into your arms, completely unafraid, knowing that your heart towards us is good. And we thank you that when we turn our face to you, we do indeed see your face. And Father, I just pray that you continue to open the eyes of our hearts, that we'd see and be aware of you more and more. And Father, this morning I just pray that you'll take the words that I speak, and God, that for each person, that you would speak into their hearts. Lord, that there'll be something that will trigger in each one of our hearts this morning. Father, we love you, and above all, we want you to be glorified. Thank you, God. <laughs> Amen. So I always feel it's a great honor to be able to just share some, some stuff with you guys. Um, and I spoke to you a few weeks ago really about one of our foundational values, and that was about being present-centered. And today I want actually to talk about another of the values that we hold very dear here in Hope Church. And that value is freedom. Now, I've been thinking about this for quite a few weeks. So when Phil got up last week and announced that his title was Freedom, Love, and the Tale of Two Gardens, I was, I have to say, just for a moment, slightly gutted. I thought, uh, how am I going to follow this man? You know, he's such a great communicator, such a great thinker. Um, but actually, God reminded me that each one of us has something unique that we bring to this family. And for me, I'll see it from a different perspective and bring uh, something that you know, God has been showing to me uh, in the way that I tick. And I hope for, for at least some of you this morning, that will kind of tick with you as well. I'm just really excited because I think this is a topic that obviously Father is highlighting to us at the minute. And it's one that we're kind of grappling with and working out what does that look like. And so I'm going to throw a few more things into the melting pots, and hopefully that'll help us on our journey as, as, we, as we grow into this. So let's begin in the Bible. Always, I think, a good place to come from. Um, and we're going to look in the book of Galatians. So I just want to give you a wee bit of background, because we're kind of jumping in at the end. But this is a book Paul wrote to this church in Galatia, um, it was probably a church that he'd started way back in the beginning. And he's writing to them because there's this kind of faction that's growing up within the church that's insisting on um, you know, observing some of the old Judaic laws. Um, and in particular, uh, circumcision was, was one of the things. And so in his early, early chapters, Paul kind of sets out his credentials. And it's, it's not a boasting thing, but just where he's come from, the influence that he's had. Paul ministered primarily to the Gentile churches. But he went back to Jerusalem, and he challenged the leaders in Jerusalem to actually embrace the, the Gentile church and to stop imposing on them these kind of Jewish laws um, which, which were there. And so... Um, and just the, the way that perhaps they weren't associating with, in the same way with the non-Jewish converts. And so Paul was a real um, advocate for this kind of equality uh, in the church and also to break free from these uh, traditions that were, had still been held very dear. 
And then he comes in after that and he outlines the kind of whole message of grace that salvation doesn't come by observing the law, but through faith. And then he talks about us not being slaves, but sons. And these are things that we've talked about to a great degree here in Hope. And it's really powerful stuff as we grasp it and uh, build it into our lives. So we're going to jump in in chapter 5. And this is kind of Paul's kind of conclusion to all that he's been saying. And in my Bible, it's actually headed freedom in Christ. So we're going to jump in at verse 1. It says, "For freedom, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. He wants us to listen. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit... We eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So it's for freedom that we've been set free. So to begin with, I want to explore a little bit about what is this freedom and what it is that we're set free from. Now, I'm a bit of a, an anorak, I suppose. I like definitions and things like that. So we're going to start there. And I, I actually went to the dictionaries just for some definitions of freedom. And I went to the Oxford English di- Dictionary, which is kind of the big daddy of them all, I guess. And it says in there that freedom is the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. Now, that didn't quite do it for me, actually. Phil spoke last week about... Um, sort of a biblical idea of what freedom is. And if you didn't hear it, I'd really recommend you go and listen to what Phil had to say last week. Download it off the website, have a listen. It's really outstanding. But that kind of definition, I guess, lines up with perhaps the world's view of freedom. There's no restraint, there's no hindrance. You can do what you like, it doesn't matter. But I don't believe that's God's view of freedom. So I went looking again, and I found this one in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. And it says, freedom, the quality or state of being free, that makes sense. But then it gives some examples, which I like. So it says, liberation from slavery or restraint or from the power of another. Another one is the quality or state of being exempt or released, usually from something onerous. And the absence of necessity, coercion, or constraint in choice of action. I kind of feel this ties in much more with the biblical view of freedom. Our freedom primarily as Christians is a freedom from the law. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're free from the demands and effects of the law and the onerous burden that that places on on us. We have this liberation from slavery or restraint. We're free to be the people that God has made us to be. Free to choose what we do and what we don't do. Now, Paul's really hot on this. He, He, of all people, really understood this and really understood the grace that 
God was releasing through this. Paul had been the Pharisee of all Pharisees. He'd been one of the most zealous, law-following guys. And it got to a point where ultimately he even persecuted the church before his remarkable encounter with God and um, his conversion. He knew better than anyone what it is that we've been set free from. You know, the law enslaves us. It's a burden to us. And Jesus has died to bring us freedom from this tyranny. We're free from the law. We find that quite hard to deal with, I think. We, we actually like rules, I think, if, if it's, we're honest. You know, it kind of gives us a framework. We know where we're, when we're in line, when we're not. But actually, God doesn't want us to be constrained in that way. We're free from the law. Now, God gave the law originally as part of his redemptive plan. In Romans 3.20 it says, For no human being will be justified in his sight by works of the law, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. That was one of the primary effects of the law. It helped us to understand what sin was. So the law makes us aware of sin, but actually it has no answer for the effects of sin. So in the Old Testament... They had um, sacrifices and, and so on which atoned for sin. But actually, that wasn't God's real intention. God's intention was that we should know him and that we should respond to him in faith. And so we can see a few examples in the Old Testament of people who step beyond this idea just of law, but who exemplified this faith. I mean, Abraham is probably the archetypal example. Of course, he came before the law, I guess. But he had this encounter with God. And in Romans 4.13, it says, The promise to Abraham and his descendants that they should inherit the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. It's faith that actually gives us favor with God. We see in Hebrews 12 this kind of gallery of the heroes of faith. Those who even in a time when the law was prevalent exercised faith and found favor with the Father. And you'll notice that there's no corresponding role of law keepers. In fact, a lot of the people that God commended actually were pretty simple in a way. You, know, you look at guys like David who is said to be a man after God's own heart. He was a murderer. He was an adulterer. He was generally, you know... Not that great in terms of following the law. But actually, there's something about his heart which um, wanted God's glory and wanted um, just to please God. So the law was there really to expose sin. So what changed? Well, it's all about Jesus. You know, Jesus was this kind of pivotal point in history where one regime, if you like, came to an end, and a new regime was, uh, I, I guess, became born. We could move from this old covenant based on law and sacrifice into a new covenant based on grace and encounter. So Jesus, in his life, actually, whenever he, he was actually asked and challenged about the law a great deal. Particularly the, the Pharisees and the, the kind of the, these uh, lawmakers really didn't like the freedom that he lived in. Um, they took 
this whole thing of the law in a place of legalism. And Jesus redeemed it to a place of freedom. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, Jesus taught a whole bunch of really radical departures from the law. He said just a few of the things he said. You heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. That's taking it a wee bit further, isn't it? Um, It said, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's raising the bar just a wee bit. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn them the other cheek also. Radical stuff. And you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus raised the bar in impossibly high as far as the law was concerned. If you're within the constraints of the law, really, you can never actually succeed in that framework. It's, it's way beyond what we're capable of. But alongside these things, he also brought a, compa- a compassion that cut through the hypocrisy of the Pharisees who enforce the laws and so on. So you know the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. She'd been dragged out by the religious authorities, brought before Jesus and uh, these other lawmakers. What did Jesus do? He didn't condemn her. He didn't enforce the law, which actually was that she should be stoned to death. But rather, he said, let him who's without sin cast the first stone. Radical stuff again. And to the woman, he said, go and sin no more. Right there, we see the heart of the Father in action. It's not for judgment, but for restoration. And again, Jesus was asked, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he replied to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. There's a beautiful simplicity here. It's not a list of regulations and behaviors, but actually it's a heart attitude, which is the key. It's not hitting, getting these things right and hitting the nail on the head, every jot and tittle of the law, but actually it's about a heart attitude. And it's about relationship with the Father ultimately. So Jesus said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but but to fulfill them. So it wasn't just, you know, this law is no good, we're going to start again. But actually Jesus came and he lived out the law um, to to its letter and beyond. But by fulfilling the law, Jesus actually rendered it obsolete. He was the one man who could stand and live absolutely perfectly according to the law. But Jesus has now entirely redefined our relationship with law. He came to bring freedom. It tells us in Acts 13, 
verse 38. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. (laughs) So the law of Moses was all about establishing guilt. The new covenant is actually about establishing righteousness. Our default position is not guilty, it's righteous. It's not separated, it's accepted. And we know that the verses in Luke 4 really well, where Jesus takes the scrolls in the synagogue and he reads from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So again, here we see his main purpose on this earth was to bring freedom, to release the prisoners, heal, set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God's goodness is towards man. And in John 8.36, Jesus himself says, if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. So Jesus' purpose was to bring freedom in many different aspects of our lives. Universally, he was bringing freedom from sin and its effects. We don't have to be subject to that anymore but also to the individual who's going to bring healing, freedom from oppression. And in his life, Jesus exemplified this living in freedom. He challenged the established law, and being its, he, was his, it was, he was its fulfillment. And in his death, he once and all broke the requirement of the law. So the truth is, we're no longer governed by law. There are no rules to govern us. We are truly free. So that's kind of exciting. You know, we don't have to follow these rules. But freedom in a vacuum and without a context is an incredibly dangerous thing. Um, Phil, again, spoke really well about this last week, about restraint being the outworking of freedom in the context of love. And my observation is that actually in our personal lives, Freedom without restraint means that we live a self-centered life. Because it's all about, I can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter. And in our society, whether it be in church or wider in society, freedom without restraint leads to anarchy, essentially. Again, if there's no framework for this to work in, then everybody does what they want and you end up with chaos. So... We really need to explore a little bit the question, you know, what is the context of the freedom that Jesus gave us? So let's go back to Galatians 5. Down in verse 13. And in my Bible, it's headed life by the Spirit. And it says this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another. Humbly in love. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So the only way in which our freedom won't end up in selfish living and ultimately in anarchy is actually by walking in the Spirit or walking with the Spirit. There are quite a few scriptures actually that echo this idea. You know, our freedom isn't an opportunity to do whatever we like. But actually, as Christians, we're signed up for a Spirit-empowered radical, pure lifestyle of sacrificially serving the Father and one another. So in Romans 6 verse 18 it says this, you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. You know, living in the Spirit, we can't actually help but do the right thing. Two Peter, uh, sorry, 1 Peter 2 verse 16 says, live as free people, but not, do not leave Sorry, do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. So again, we see that our freedom results in submitting to God and his purposes and actually behaving in a Christ-like way towards his family, the church. And then in Romans 7 verse 16, it says, But now, by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. So we're free people. God is setting us free. But in our freedom, we're willingly submitting ourselves to God and his ways and his purposes. It isn't a freedom to go and do our own thing, but actually... um, I think it's Paul talks about being bond servants. And a bond servant was a servant who actually, having been released, went back to his master to serve him again. And for us, it's that willing submission again to the Father. In the light of all the amazing things that he's done. We sung this morning about, you know, he's put a crown on our head and he's showered us with riches. Our only response to him can be, Father, what do you want me to do? So it's a relationship thing. It's not about some set of rules or a code, but it's about our relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And is it with anyone that we love? You know, we want to please him. 
I've been married to Lydia for 33 years. And actually, relationships work best if you please the people that you're in relationship with. And so there are the little things which, I guess, just oil the wheels, if you like. But it's, a, it's about honoring one another and um, living to please the other person. So right at the end of that passage we read, it says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So it's not a life of rule and regulation, but it's actually learning to walk daily, hourly, minute by minute, in step with Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I, see what I, see the, I do what I see the Father doing. How did he do that? Well, it's the Holy Spirit, actually, who enables us to know the heart, Father's heart. The Holy Spirit actually connects with our spiritual being and reveals Father's heart to us. And as we listen and respond to him, we're going to become increasingly like Jesus. I think that's one of our challenges, particularly in modern life, is actually keeping our antennae kind of on sensitive mode just to keep constantly be hearing what the Spirit's saying to us. So what's the fruit of living this way? Well, we have a list of things in the end of this passage that living in the Spirit grows in us. The fruit of living in the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, I learned those as a memory verse as a child or in Sunday school. But actually, it's more than a tick list. It's kind of a measuring stick for us. How well are we actually walking in step with the Spirit? I'd encourage you to have a look and see how much of these attributes is actually present in my life. It's a kind of barometer of our walk with the Spirit. So our value for freedom is worked out as we walk in the Spirit and it results in behaviors that are consistent with that lifestyle. So the list begins with love. And in English, we just have one word for love, and we kind of qualify it with other words. But in Greek, it was actually, there was no ambiguity. There were several different words for love. So um, philia was a, a word which kind of meant brotherly, brotherly love and affection. Eros was love in a sort of sexual context. But here we have another word, which is agape. And this is defined as a kind of universal selfless, unconditional love that serves whatever the circumstances. It's a love which lays itself down um, for the object of that love. It's used often in the context of God's love for us. What Phil again talked last week about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. and There he was, he was, knew that his time was close. And he could have asked God, well, he did ask, God, take this from me, but your, not my will, but your will be done. He could have called for the angels to come and take him out of there, and he could have walked away. But he had a love in his heart, both for his father and for us. It talks about us being the joy set before him. 
And so here he was demonstrating this agape love, this selfless love. And that's what walking in the Spirit generates in us. It generates uh, an ability to lay down our lives to, uh, to love others in that way. Then we go through the list, joy. Again, that's something that Spirit puts in our hearts. It's not something that's dependent on circumstance, but actually it's that joy that's just who we are, what God has made us to be, what he's done in us. Um, I think it's just an amazing thing. Peace, just the absence of worry, knowing that and being confident that our Father is good and has his very best for us. Patience. For me, that's knowing that God's timing is best. I think we're very impatient. We live in an instant society. We want everything now. But actually... God's timing, both for us and those that we're walking with, is perfect. That the result that God wants is inevitable. But it might not be just now. (laughs) Kindness. You know, as we walk in the Spirit, we're going to be in tune with the Father's compassion. Which results in us being kind both to one another people that we know, but also I think it's the root of reaching out to those around us as well who are in need. Goodness. Again, as we're in step with the Spirit, we become filled with good things from the Father. And these overspill in our lives and into the lives of those around us. Faithfulness. There's this dedication to God, to his church, to the loss that grows out of life in the Spirit. There's that sense of just consistently doing what God wants us to do. Gentleness. It's probably more of a challenge to some than others. It's here in the list. Gentleness isn't a weakness, but rather an attitude in our actions that will not crush or damage others. Jesus was talked about or prophesied about as one who would not... Um, quenched uh, 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 kind of flame that was flickering and going out. And there's something in gentleness which is about nurturing and encouraging and and giving strength to people. And finally, self-control. And the spirit living in us enables us to live victorious over sin and controlling behaviors. Now, in order to live this way, we actually need to be secure in who God has made us to be. We need to be comfortable in our own skin, confident that we're actually the way he made us, and confident that we're his. We need to be secure in his unfailing goodness towards us. We can only lay down our lives, our time, our resources, physical and emotional, We can only lay them down for God and for one another if we know that he is our source, he's our provider, and he is our strength. If we don't have that in our heart, we're going to have that sense that if I pour out, you know, I'm going to lose out ultimately. But actually, if we know that he is our source, then that gives us strength to pour out our hearts, to serve our family, to serve one another, 
to serve the lost, to serve the hungry and the homeless. One of the things that we're doing as a leadership at the moment in, in this church is talking a lot about our values and how they shape what we do and how we do it. It's our desire to create an environment where every one of us can be truly free. Where there's no coercion, no rules, no emotional blackmail to get things done. And it's a challenge. You know, church life hasn't been like that traditionally. You know, there's, I've certainly been on the end of emotional blackmail and oh, you've got to follow the vision, you've got all these different things. And we haven't been good at freedom from the law either. Um, I think we've taken the Old Testament law and then we've bolted on a whole bunch of different behaviours and you mustn't do this, you mustn't do that, you mustn't wear certain clothes, you mustn't, mustn't drink, you mustn't... All kinds of different things that we add on to that. But it's our heart to create something different. To create an environment where each one of us is free to be who God made us to be. Every one of you carries dreams and visions in your heart. Every one of you is just sparked off by certain things. And it's going to be different for every one of us. One of the challenges is how we accommodate all those different things that God is saying to us and how we encourage you to run with those things. But I want to say to you, it's all right. You, know, you don't have to have the same vision as the person next, next to you. We're not about making Christian clones. But actually, God's desire is for a really diverse family. Everybody bringing their strength and uh, their gift into the mix. Each of us cheering each other on and encouraging each other into that destiny. (laughs) So we need to trust one another to be in step with the Spirit. I'm not responsible for you being in step. That's yours. But I have to trust you that that's your heart and that's what you're going for. That's a vulnerable place sometimes, I think, you know, for each of us to just think the best, believe the best in the people around us. Sometimes it doesn't seem very obvious. Other times it's just so clear that, that that's the case. But believing the best in one another. So we're looking to build a place where we trust one another to be in step with the Spirit, where we create this beautiful family, where we're all cheering each other on to become individually the people that we were created to be, and where we serve one another sacrificially, and where corporately we increasingly become an expression of God's love to our neighborhood, to our city, and to our nation. So, I invite you to join us on the journey. We're not there yet, by probably a long way, but it's great to see uh, just so many demonstrations of this family expressing love to one another. Uh, As I look around and I see different things happening, 
just the way that people pour into one another's lives is just amazing. And seeing, again, the heart of people to reach out and just touch the world about them. So let's journey together. Let's grow together. I know that God has great things for us. <laughs> let's pray. Yeah. Father, I just thank you that it is for freedom you set us free. I thank you that we're not bound to the law, to a code of practice, but we're bound to you heart to heart. And Father, I pray for myself, I pray for each one of us, that we would walk increasingly in step with your spirit. Oh, increasingly hearing your voice, catching the Father's heart. Father, I just pray that you give us the courage and boldness to step out and do all that you have. To step out and do what we see the Father doing. Father, I just thank you that you believe in family, you believe in this family. And we invite you right now, just come in. We want to encounter you. We want to just be aware so much of um, your love for us and your love for this world around us. Father, give us courage to lay our lives on the line for you and for our family. Father, give us strength and give us resources. We, we just thank you that you don't leave us out to dry, but actually you give us everything we need for the journey. We love you, God, and we invite you just to be at the heart of this vibrant community that you're creating. Thank you, God. Amen. <laughs>